Take your Bibles. I told you last week we were, we were done with 1 Peter, and I did not tell you a story. We are, but turn to 2 Peter. We had so much fun in the first letter. Let's look at the second letter. Now, the second letter, there's more disagreement, I, I think, as much disagreement about the authenticity of this letter or the uh, authorship of this letter as there are any other uh, books in the New Testament. I personally don't have an issue with Peter being the author. Um, several uh, commentators and theologians would agree with that. Uh, it even says in chapter 3, verse 1, that he wrote it, so that's good enough for me. The fact that it was canonized when it was, uh, the fact that it was uh, held in honor by the early church, all of those things work together to give me a peace of mind that the author of this letter truly is the Apostle Peter, the same one that wrote First Peter. Uh, this was likely written shortly before his death, uh, so probably written from Rome. He was uh, executed by Nero sometime around 67 to 68 AD. And so we believe that this is the last thing we hear from, from the Apostle Peter. And it's interesting to me that when you look at 1 Peter and you see the primary focus was on persecution and pain and suffering and how to deal with that, how to process all of that, then you look at 2 Peter and you see that the focus turns more on doctrinal teachings and a warning against false teachers, against apostates. Now, think about that for a minute. The interesting hand-in-hand uh, -hand relationship between being prepared for suffering, being able to deal with suffering, being able to glorify God through suffering, and then being on guard for false teachers and making sure that you have sound doctrine. I think those two things go hand-in-hand in, hand in any time, but especially during times of persecution like we're, we're seeing now and, and especially like what they saw then. So uh, th while the focus of 1 Peter was more on suffering, this one is more on uh, staying, being firmly planted on a foundation of sound doctrine, and then everything else that we do needs to operate from that point. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at verses 3 through 11 in 2 Peter chapter 1, and I want to talk to you today about finding worth in growth, finding worth in growth. Now, before we get into this, we're not going to read the whole passage, but here's what I want you to hear. We have a choice to make, every one of us, and so there's, 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 always, there's always problems when we read Scripture and we have a hard time grasping some of the nuances, so here's what I would tell you. Stop worrying so much about the nuances and grab hold of the stuff that we can find that's just black and white. The nuances will work themselves out. I had a conversation with a man this week, and, uh, and man, he was adamant about some things that he just didn't like about the way God does his business. He's a professing believer, but he said, I don't like the fact that this happens and that happens, and if this, then why that? And I just, I listened to him, and I tried to share scripture with him. I tried to, to try to steer him a little bit, and, and finally, we got to a point when I said, well, listen, here, here's the best advice I can give you, and it's advice that I've, uh, I can't remember who gave it to me, but I, I learned early on that in my mind, y'all know I'm a visual person, I've told you about that, uh, in my mind, I have a little filing cabinet, and there's a, a pretty, it's actually a whole drawer, maybe it's own cabinet, of stuff that I just don't fully understand. And so what I told him and what I will tell you is when there's things that we don't understand, we just tell them, we, we put them in a, in a category, in a filing cabinet, in a file, in a box, in a corner, whatever, maybe a big stack, but we just label it God's business. And, and listen, I'm just going to be truthful with you. 
if you're trying to find something that's always going to be like this, like I can touch this, I can feel the texture, I know that that's, that's black, it's got little plastic pieces, it's wood and it's carpet, all right, that's not faith. There's no, there's no aspect of this, of knowing that this exists, that involves faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the author of Hebrews tells us. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, Paul tells us in Romans. So I want you to hear me clearly this morning. We're going we're gonna to mention election. I don't want to get off in the weeds on that. We're going to talk about the seven things that we need to add to our faith, to, to build and our, grow our, our faith and grow in our relationship with Christ. And we're going to talk at the end about what that choice looks like. And I want you to know that, that a choice, when it comes to Christ, is a choice of faith. And it's going to be stepping out sometimes into the unknown, into the unseen. But I love the old phrase, never, uh, Corey Ten Boom, uh, never, uh, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So if we have a, a living, breathing relationship with Christ, that's not always going to be based on things that we can touch, the tangible, things that we can see, the visible. But it's always going to be based on what we know is our faith relationship with him. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. So let's look at the first of two points this morning, the beginning of your faith. The beginning of your faith. In verses 3 and 4 he says that his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So he says, we've been given everything required for life and godliness. Now note that that was given to you. You did not earn that. You didn't earn the opportunity to get closer to Christ. You didn't earn the opportunity to have this knowledge that we need for life and for godliness. It was a gift. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. You see the difference? Our wage is our earned payment. Our earned payment for what we have done, the sins that we have committed is death. But God gifted us with eternal life. And not only did he gift us with eternal life, he gifted us with everything that we need for life and godliness. You may say, Brother Kevin, I just can't seem to live a godly life. It's not his fault. Maybe you need to look in your life and see what it is that is keeping you from experiencing the knowledge that you have been given when you confessed your sins and came under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our understanding of this is critical that he has given us, gifted us, everything we need. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 1.3. He says, the, talking about God, he says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing includes sharing the gospel. Every spiritual blessing includes the fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to talk about later. Every spiritual blessing means everything that we need. You know, that word everything there in the Greek is a, is a word that we've talked about kind of jokingly a lot, but it's pas, P-A-S. It means everything in totality, all there's nothing, listen to me, I'm not trying to overemphasize this or, or beat a dead horse, but I want you to get this. There is absolutely nothing that you need for life and godliness that you have not been gifted, given 
that's been implanted in you when you came to faith in Christ. Stop making excuses. I, I, you know, I just don't, I don't have that. Yeah, you do. You just need to foster it. You need to grow it. We're going to talk about that in a minute too. And how did he give it to us? He gave it to us through the knowledge of the one who called us. I love this from Romans 1. I'm going to just tell you, memorize Romans 1.16. It will, it will behoove you to memorize Romans 1.16. I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. And then if you listen to this, so that's what Romans 1.16 says. Listen to what verse 17 says. This is a because verse, okay? I'm unashamed of the gospel because the power of God is salvation. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And then he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, for the righteous will live by faith. So what does that mean? That means going back to 2 Peter, he has given us everything required through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He has given us everything we need, and that's the power of the gospel. We are, we are endowed, we are filled, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit when we come to Christ. So we are given the, the knowledge, the information we need. We're also given the Spirit to direct that information, to guide us in that information, and how to use that information. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no distinction. Since there is no distinction, it's given to all who believe, you don't have to rise to a certain level in Christianity to have the things that you need to express the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to warn you, if you're verbally expressing a gospel different than the gospel that your life is expressing as you live it, you are an apostate. You are a false convert. At the very best, you are a backslidden Christian. At the very worst, and to be honest, the most likely, you are lost. Why do you say that? You're trying to make everybody mad in the, in the 830 service? It's barely 9 o'clock. You're already trying to kick everybody's anthill over. I'm trying to tell you that because I've been sent to warn you not to be comfortable in your complacency. We're to be content, not complacent. There's a drastic difference between those two things. Paul says, I have learned that no matter what condition I'm in, therein to be content, but never to be complacent. Complacency is, is, the, is the next door neighbor to laziness. Contentment means that I can continue to serve and do and go no matter what is required of me. And that's the kind of contentment that only comes when we understand that through the knowledge of him who called us, that we have been given, gifted, everything we need for life and godliness. Now, here's the point of that. Having this knowledge hinges upon the difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. Now that, listen, that, that is an eternal difference between those two things. James said it this way, the demons believe and they tremble. You say, well, I believe. Okay, well, good. You've got demonic faith. You're equal with the demons. <laughs> I'm not sure any of us are going to sleep well at night if we're content with having demonic faith. Amen? So how do you have the next level faith? 
You have contentment in what God has called you to do. You know that he is, he is drawing you to himself. You know that he has made you an ambassador for Christ. He's made you a missionary to whatever people that you get to interact with. Through whatever experiences you gain, good or bad, God can use those to advance his kingdom. Caitlin, I'm going to pick on you again, sweetheart. I'm so sorry. But all that Caitlin has gone through, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. But the fact that she has gone through it with the spirit and the confidence and the strength and the faith that she has shown has been a, a screaming, yelling, neon, I mean, brighter than my jacket, neon example of what it means to have faith. Faith is not everything's going to be okay when everything is okay. Listen to me. Faith is everything's going to be okay when everything stinks. When I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, when I'm, I'm constantly waiting on another doctor's report, on another MRI, another CT, I'm constantly living with this dread of whatever situation I'm having to deal with. When you can live in that and be content, then you are starting to understand that you have been given everything you need for life and godliness through the one who called you. It's the difference between the seven sons of Sceva and the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter. You remember that story? We just preached it a few weeks ago. Acts 19, 15. They're, they're interacting with these, these demons, these seven sons of this Jewish priest, and they come in and they say, we command you by the same Jesus that Paul preaches. And, and I almost picture it like this, like they're doing whatever little demonic thing that they do, and he says this and they go, well, listen here, homeboy. I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? You see, they knew about, but they didn't know. That's a radical, transformative, eternal difference. My prayer is that you know that difference, because that's the beginning of your faith. What it means is that by the things that God has given us, we have the promises of God so we're able to share in his divine nature. So that means that we don't have to give in to the lust of this life. We can live for Christ. Number two, the building of your faith. We're going to spend most of our time here this morning. The building of your faith. Look at verses 5 through 11. Now you know that seven is the number of completion in scripture. Everybody, you've heard that? Seven is the number of completion. Oddly enough, and I don't think it's odd, I think it's on purpose, Peter gives us seven qualities a Christian should be building into their lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now, what does supplement mean? Louder, I'm deaf. Add to. Add to. You take supplements when you're working out or when you're, maybe you're uh, on some kind of medication that, like, Lanny's on some stuff that drains some stuff from her, so she has to take these supplements, these vitamins. And what it is, is it's an addition to what your body already produces. It's an addition to what you already need. It's supplemented. It's added to. And that's what he's saying. Make sure, make every effort that you supplement your faith. And then he gives us these seven things. The first thing he gives us is goodness. Arete in the Greek. Arete which means intrinsic or attributed, I'm sorry, intrinsic or attributed excellence, valor or virtue, goodness. Seems pretty simple to think goodness, but I know a lot of people who are 
good by the earth's standards, but they're also dead in their sins and trespasses. So this is just living for God's glory would be my way of paraphrasing this. Virtuous living is not just helping little old ladies across the street. Virtuous living is, is doing what is right all the time. You know, the character and reputation, uh, character is the tree, reputation is the shadow. There's all these different analogies. I think that was Lincoln that used that. Your, your character, who you really are is what we're talking about. The goodness, uh, having that virtuous character means that you do the right thing even when nobody's watching. And on top of that goodness, you put knowledge, which is gnosis, uh, the act of knowing. And I would say that this would be, a, a way to paraphrase this, would be responding to God's giftings. So it's not enough just to know, you have to do with what you know. And, and I, 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 I think I've said this enough, but I'm going to say it again. When you first come to faith in Christ, you become a missionary, you become an evangelist, you become an ambassador. And, you're, and you're, you may be thinking, oh, Brother Kevin, that's, you get saved and then you have to marinate and you have to wait around and you have to grow. and you, All that stuff is good. You need to do all that stuff, but you don't get to wait. You are, listen, when I, when I went in the Navy, when I joined the Navy, when I raised my hand and said, I promise to faithfully defend uh, the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, so help me God. When I did that, I was in the Navy. When I went to boot camp, when I, when I got off the bus, if I had gotten off of one bus and they said, hey, the war is broken out, they're attacking Chicago, get back on this other bus, grab a gun, and we're going to war, I, would, I couldn't have said, no, 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 I just got here. <laughs> no, 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 I just, I just enlisted. I didn't even got my head shaved yet. I'm not ready for that. It doesn't matter if you're ready for that. You're in. You're in the Army. You're in the Navy. You're in the military. You, if you've come to faith in Christ, you're in the Lord's Army. Hey, grab a gun, stand a post. One of the biggest misservices we've done in the church, it's an injustice to be honest with you, is that we lead children and youth to Christ and we tell them to sit in a corner until they're young adults, until they're married, until they have kids. That's not biblical. They're the church of tomorrow. No, they're not, saint. They're the church of right now. If they've come to faith in Christ, they are the church of right now. That's where, it, that's where it's got to land for us. Responding to God's giftings doesn't take time. It takes faith. It takes obedience. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3.8. He says he's considered everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Everything. Right then. Right then on the Damascus Road, Paul began to gain knowledge about what it meant to let everything else in his life look like what he calls dung in Philippians 3.8. Refuse, rubbish, garbage, trash, horse hockey. Everything. His genealogy. I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I'm, I'm, he was a big deal. He was a mover and a shaker. His, his uh, uh, rabbi, his instructor was Gamaliel, who was one of the higher-ups. He was on a fast track to being a big deal in the Jewish community. And he said, I count all that as dung, as refuse. When I compare it to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
2 Timothy 2.15, he tells his protege this. He says, be diligent or steady, some translations say, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching or rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what it means to have knowledge, responding to God's giftings, letting it seep in and then seep out. The third one, self-control, inkratia, means resisting the lusts of life. That's the best way I can say, you know what self-control is. It's, the Greek word is no different than the English translation there. It's just self-control, controlling self. So I would paraphrase that and say it is resisting the lusts of life. Listen to what John said in 1 John 2, 16 and 17. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. If you want to remain forever, you've got to stop holding on to the fleeting things of this world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, that he disciplined his body to bring it under strict control. Discipline. That, that word discipline there is, is the, is the uh, same visual as a boxer punching. Uh, somebody taking a stick and beating something. Disciplining, disciplining his body meant that he was doing whatever it took to beat the self out of him. He wanted, to, he wanted to get all of the self out of him so he could be completely and totally filled with the Spirit of God, committed to the work of God. Are you doing that this morning? Here's what he added on to that. He said, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. See, now he's messing with me, dadgummit. It's all right when he's messing with y'all. Now he's messing with me. I've got to discipline myself. I've got to discipline my mind, my flesh, my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, so that I can get up here and do what I'm doing now, which is to or try to do now, which is preach the whole counsel of God in season and out and not be disqualified because I'm preaching a gospel I'm not living. Y'all like that when it's on me and not on you? Well, I got bad news for you. It's on you too. Your preaching is not from a pulpit. Your preaching is from social media. Your preaching is from your office cubicle. Your preaching is from your kitchen, your bedroom, your living room. What are you watching on TV? What are you spending your time and money on? You're preaching a message every day you live. John MacArthur said this, talking about virtue. We're talking about self-control. He says, virtue guided by knowledge disciplines desire and makes it the servant, not the master of one's life. Don't answer this out loud. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but can you just imagine how much better your life would feel if desire was your servant and not your master? I'd be able, I'd be able to wear a lot smaller clothes. If my desire was my, was my servant and not my master. The fourth thing, endurance, hupomone. It means cheerful or hopeful endurance. So not just endurance, not just the frozen chosen, the, the seated and soaking. I'm going to sit here and go to church, bless God. I ain't never leaving. Till I die, they carry me out. I'm just staying here. That's not endurance. It's a hopeful, a cheerful endurance, a patient, 
continuance. Here's how I would rephrase it. Fighting to the last breath. But fighting with joy. Fighting with hope. Not being bitter and just, you know, well, the Lord just left me here, I reckon. I just stay here till he comes back. And some of those people are like, I dare you to bless me. You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about endurance where you're like, hey, every day, even when I don't feel like it, I get up and I praise the Lord. Can I just tell you this as a reminder? If you read the book of Job, God is just as worthy of all the praise and honor and glory and worship in Job 1 as he is in the end of the book and everywhere in between. He's not only worthy when he gives Job all of his stuff back, he's always worthy. And I don't understand how God does some of the stuff he does. I don't understand the why, but that's not my pay grade. My pay grade is to say, yes, Lord. Even when I don't understand it, I would even go this far, especially when I don't understand it. Any parents in here ever told your kid to do something and they said, why? You're talking about working on your sanctification. Hey, go, go clean your room. Why? Mm-hmm. I used to think they'd get better, Donnie, when they were little. I thought, oh, well, they just stay little. They don't know nothing. They're 18 and 16. Why? We still ain't figured this out yet. Because <laughs> I said so. That's, you know, and listen, by the way, any, if you tell the truth now, I'm, 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 we're going to call you out here. Any parent in here, have you ever said, because I said so? Raise your hand. Some of y'all lying now. Don't, hey, tell the truth. Stay in the church. All right. If you've ever said, because I said so, don't you dare question the Lord God. When he does something that you don't like or you don't understand. Because he said so. And he didn't just say it, he wrote it in the book. That's how we can have hopeful endurance. That's how we can have patience no matter what our circumstances. Here's a a pictorial representation of what I'm talking about. Never, ever Give up. We, I read a story one time about a man who was attacked by, a, I think it was a bear. I can't remember. He was attacked and they said, you know, that they found the man and he was, he was of course, you know, I'm not trying to be gross, but he was badly mauled and, you know, and somebody asked me, so well, what would happen to you if you were attacked by a bear? I said, well, let me tell you what, they, they would find me with mouthfuls of bear fur and handfuls of bear fur, maybe a bear eyeball. I said, because I wouldn't, I would, listen, I wouldn't be a Happy Meal. <laughs> he might get me, but it's going to be a rough ride. That's the attitude we've got to have when it comes to serving the Lord until he calls us home. Never, ever give up. Sometimes the enemy's going to feel like he's got you. He's trying, we talked about last week, he's trying to gulp you down. He's trying to swallow you whole. He's trying to devour you. Listen, you get your hands around his neck and you hold on as tight as you can and you just sing hallelujah, bless the Lord as long as you can hold out. That's endurance. MacArthur again, he says, perseverance is spiritual staying power that will die before it gives in. (laughs) I love that. Spiritual staying power that will die before it gives in. Number five, godliness. Eusebia in the Greek, which is holiness. Another word for that, which is being pleasing to God. We need to to do everything we can to build, add, supplement to our faith. Godliness. 
1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. You'll find that in Leviticus 19, 2, and chapter 20, chapter 11. There's a bunch of places in Leviticus where that be holy because I am holy appears. Number six, brotherly affection, Philadelphia. Brotherly love or kindness. This is loving the rest of God's children. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Most of y'all are lovable, plain and simple. You just are. But all of you, sometime or another... I'm going to love you because God has called me to love you. Now, here's the ugly part of that. Y'all have to do the same for me because I'm not very lovable. I can be prickly. I can be bullheaded. I can be impatient. I know I'm the only one in here that can be that way. No wives say amen to that. We got to love each other. Let me remind you that John... 1335 says that that will be the thing that makes everyone else know that you belong to him. By this, talking about love, talking about the brotherly love for one another, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This is an intentional act of loving someone as your brother or sister in Christ. Romans 12.10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. In other words, it's a perpetual thing, that it just keeps on going. And then number seven, love. This is agape love, sacrificial love. This love involves an act of the will. This is seeking the best for others. Listen to 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. I told you we we're going to get to fruits of the Spirit. I want you to look at this. Galatians 5, 22 to 26 gives us the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And it says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. For 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So 22 and 23 give us a list, and four of these are specifically mentioned in Peter's list. You have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And out of those, love, patience, goodness, and self-control are all specifically mentioned. But then look at the other ones that he says, joy. That sounds a lot like what we talked about with endurance, doesn't it? Joyful endurance. How about self-control? You can't have joy if you're not having self-control because I'm going to tell you, if you give in to self, it will rob you of your joy. Now, it may provide you some happiness, but so does crack. That's the problem with drugs. It provides you happiness and it robs your joy. And so every time you get that little bit of happiness, it takes more of your joy, so you need more drugs to get more happiness. And then that much drug don't get you as much happiness because your joy is continuing to be depleted. And so as your, as your happiness goes up, your joy goes down and your happiness wavers, and then your happiness goes up and your joy goes down further, and then you end up in a mess. That's what addiction looks like. My dad didn't start drinking when he was 14 and say, here's to being dead early. Here's to not watching my grandchildren grow up. No, he was trying to cover up pain. He was trying to cover up problems. He wanted happiness, but he didn't know how to look for joy. 
Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That's why people can't find it in, in alcohol or drugs or pornography or anything else that tries to draw them in and offers them happiness. Anything that will offer you happiness without joy is a lie from the pits of hell. Joy comes in the morning. Sorrows endure for the night. Let me promise you something. If you're looking for anything other than joy, you're looking for false gold. You're looking for fool's gold. He also mentions peace. Peace only comes from knowledge of God's will. And peace comes from endurance. When you endure, when you faithfully, joyfully persevere, you can have joy. You have peace. Also, kindness is here. That's, you get that from brotherly affection or goodness. Faithfulness, that comes from knowledge and endurance. Gentleness comes from goodness and self-control. So you see this list of fruits of the Spirit, and you compare it to the list of things we're supposed to supplement our faith with that Peter gives us here in 2 Peter 1, and you see a, a really stark similarity, don't you? Where all these things flow together. You think maybe that's intentional? You think maybe Peter and Paul were, were kind of reading from the same uh, background report that the Holy Spirit was inspiring them to write. The same Holy Spirit that told Paul, write down the gifts of the fruit of the Spirit, told Peter, write down the things people need to supplement their faith with. So whether you're a receive it from the Holy Spirit or a supplement it through your own work, you both end up with the same things that God is telling us to add to our faith. And here's the, the, the other side of that, the flip side of that coin. If you don't do that, here's what you're going to look like. Useless, unfruitful, blind, and short-sighted. He says that in verses 9, 10, and 11, or 9 and 10. James said it this way in James 2. Verse 20 says, faith without works is useless. Verse 26, faith without works is dead. Titus 3.14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be what? Unfruitful. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 7, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and bad fruit and vice versa. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He says you will recognize them, you will know them by their fruit. So what kind of fruit are you producing? How's your fruit this morning? Is your fruit good or is your fruit bad? I'm not talking about what you do on Sunday. I'm talking about the fruit that your life produces. Other people are watching to see what kind of fruit are you producing so they can figure out what kind of tree you are, good or bad? Now, three statements here I'm going to give you. Useless Christians are unfruitful, and unfruitful Christians are useless. The second one, I've never heard a tree grunt or grind as it produces its delicious fruit. It just happens naturally. You ever heard of an apple tree complaining about making apples? You ever heard a pear tree complain and gripe about making pears? I've also never heard a tree gripe or complain when someone picks the fruit that it's produced. It's there for the picking. You know, that's how trees reproduce. Animals get the fruit, they eat it, and they go off somewhere and they get rid of it, and the seeds stay in, and then the seeds get in the soil and the seeds grow. It ought to be the same way for us. When we produce fruit, other people get it and take it somewhere else, and it grows their fruit. Verse 10, he says, May make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Uh, you see this similar thought in Paul's writings in Ephesians 4.1, where he says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So it's really not a matter of, of worrying about election and what that means and, and you know, Calvinism and, and free will and all this other stuff. That's not what he's talking about. 
He's talking about live in a way that makes people understand that you really are who you say you are. Let me put it to you this way. What kind of effort do you want from your favorite football team? Two of my favorite teams won last night. They both wear red, so since the elders got me my red coat, I was debating about whether or not to, to wear it. And when, you know, if the, Brave, the Braves only been to the World Series the last time was in 1999. Uh, might not get a chance to wear it very often, so I'm going to wear it for them. But what kind, of, what kind of effort do you want from your favorite baseball team? I want a lot of effort. I want maximum effort. I don't want to see a team that I'm rooting for going through the motions. So then let me ask you this question. What kind of effort do you think Jesus deserves? Are you giving him the same kind of effort that you would expect out of your favorite team? And I'll close with this. I told you we're going to come down to talking about a choice. Tony Evans tells a story about a wealthy man and I don't know if this is a true story or a good story. And a, an old gentleman at Southside, he would always ask me, Brother Rudy, he'd say, you want a true story or you want a good story? So I'd like to have both, Brother Rudy, if I can, if I can get that. But he tells this story about a rich man who had a, a lot of money, a lot of, a lot of belongings, and he had a son who died at a young age. He was only heir. It was a tragic situation. The old man was never the same. He struggled the rest of his life, missed his son. And when the rich man died, they had a public auction because he didn't have any heirs. And it included many valuable pieces of art that the man owned. And because his artwork was so extensive and, and so uh, incredible, hundreds of people flocked from miles around to come to this auction and to bid on these works of art. And the first item they put up for sale was a rather plain-looking, childish-looking painting. And when the guy presented it, he said, this was done by the older man's son, the rich man's son painted this. And so this will be the first item that we, that we bid on. And you could kind of hear some chuckling and some kind of, you know, snickering going on in the audience. And, of course, they kind of put their little paddles down. And nobody wanted this. And so he, he said, does anybody have an opening bid? And this little old man was sitting in the back, and he had been a, a caretaker for the son. He, was, he had worked as a butler, I think, for the man for years. And he came up, and he, he kind of dug around in his pockets, and he came up, and he just had a few coins, a couple dollars. And he said, that's all I have. And he said, the guy looked at it and he says, anybody else want to make a bid? Nobody did. So he pounded the gavel and he said, sold. And the man was happy. You know, you see him dobbing tears. He's obviously had a connection with his child, this man. And he gets the painting and he goes back over and sits down. And the auctioneer says, well, that concludes the auction for today. Now you hear some you know, rumble start. What? Wait, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. And he said, Well, here's the thing. In the old man's will, he was specific that only someone who appreciated his son's work and wanted his son's work was worthy of everything else. So the old man, for whatever coins and change he had in his pocket, he got the entire art collection. See, that's our choice. I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. That's just what we do. We're people. But that's our choice. Are we going to accept the son's gift? 
Are we going to accept the son's work? Or do we want to try to add to it? Do we want to try to do our own thing? Do we want to try to get our own things that we value? See, our choice is simple. We accept the son and whatever comes with that, right, Caitlin? Whatever, whatever problems and pains life throws at us, we accept them because we accept the son and we accept his mission when we accept him. So whatever mission he has me on... Y'all heard me say this before. When I, when I came to Christ, I knelt down and prayed at Westside Baptist Church in Florella. And this is what I said, almost verbatim. I said, God, I'm broken. I can't fix what's wrong with me. I can't stop doing these things that I know I'm not supposed to do. If you'll take me back, if you'll clean me up, if you'll save me, I'll do whatever you ask me to do for the rest of my life. Can I just tell you, I had no clue from that day to this <laughs> what that road would look like. But I'll assure, you, I'll assure you, if I could go back, I'd do it all over again. Because the journey is not as important as the destination. Christ has called you to come to faith by repenting of your sins, confessing them to him, and calling upon him as Lord. And he has promised to reward you with eternity in heaven. And friend, I would tell you this morning, it doesn't matter what happens in between. I'm going to make much of Jesus in any avenue that he gives me, any, any opportunity I have until he calls me home or until he comes back to get me. What about you? Are you supplementing your faith with these things that we've talked about today? Are you, are you truly seeking the Holy Spirit to give you the fruit of the Spirit so that you can build on your faith? Or are you just trying to keep your little childhood faith, your little simple well I made a profession and so I'm going to heaven and I don't want to have anything else to do with him until then. Because I'm just going to tell you that's not how it works. When I stood before the church and said I do to my wife, we went to a wedding yesterday, beautiful service. It remind, every time I go it reminds me of that day that I, that I married April. When I said I do that day, I didn't I had no idea that that would be all the different things that we've gone through. Losing parents and going through all these different trials but see I can't just be around for the good times and when things start getting bad say well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out I'll come back when it's, when it's a little easier and your faith is the same way when you commit yourself to Christ you commit to him for whatever life brings have you given your life to Christ have you surrendered to his lordship and given yourself over to his plan? If you haven't, you can do that today. Maybe you've made that profession, but you've been walking in a way that's not pointing people to Christ, that doesn't look like you have these fruits of the Spirit. You can repent of that today and rededicate your life to follow Christ more completely than ever before. If you need to join our church, if you need to confess your sins to somebody in here and try to make amends to some broken relationship as always whatever it is that the holy spirit is prompting you to do this, this the invitation time is not a time for you just to respond to something i've said it's your time to respond to the holy spirit of god who is working in you during this service i'm going to pray when i say amen that's your cue when i say amen everybody stand and if you need to come down here you move when i say amen all right let's pray Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for your holy word. God, there's no error, there's no, there's no fault in it. I pray that I haven't tried to 
uh, confuse anything. I pray that I've helped to try to give some clarity. But Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit is the only one who can make it clear to us. And I pray that he would do that today and we'd respond in faith. Lord, if there's somebody here without Christ, there's somebody here living in disobedience that needs to get back in line. If there's somebody here that needs to do some business with you today, whatever that looks like, I pray you would give them the boldness and the courage to do it. And I pray you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen.